So I thought I'd take a one-time stand, you know, just one subject tonight, and it's going to be a salvation message, but in a different kind of a way than usual. And we're going to draw from uh, a well-known book, the book of Jonah, if you want to turn to that. Um, if you can't find it, it's, a, it's easy. It's right at the Robodiah. <laughs> so if that helps. <laughs> Okay. Let's just uh, bow in prayer for a minute. Lord Jesus, we do praise and thank you for who you are. And as we've sung tonight, we just sing about you. This is It just boosts our spirits and lifts us so high. Thank you, Lord, for that. Now I ask that you be with us as we search your word, Lord, to see what hidden jewels that you have for us tonight. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're going to draw mainly from the first chapter. It'll be somewhat different than I think you've had Jonah before. This is this will be uh, in a different. You might be surprised at some of it, but let's follow Jonah. I'll be reading you this from the New King James. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found the ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The three interesting words in here you you find several times in Jonah. First is the word but. Verse 3 says, But Jonah arose to flee. And then when you come down to chapter, or verse 4, it says, But the Lord sent out a great wind. So there's a difference between all that. Tarshish was a city on the eastern side of Spain. And it was as far as people knew the, the, the end of the earth, so to speak. Nobody really looked beyond that. So what he was doing was trying to run away from from um, God. Verse 4, But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But, here we are again, but Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. Now, we have some new characters, and this is what we're going to center on tonight. It's not on Jonah. Jonah's the name of the book, but that's not who we're going to look at. We're going to look at the mariners. The name, the word, the Hebrew word for there really means one of those old salts of the sea. You know, he's been 30, 40 years and uh, he just knew his word. Never put foot on land. He's, knows his way. So uh, we're going to look at the mariners. Verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his guide and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship 
had lain down and was fast asleep. Any of you ever go uh, board trip or get seasick? Seasick. I remember in the Korean War, I was on sent on a troop ship, and we were going over into Korea. The war was on then at that time, and all they were carrying about a thousand troops on board the ship, and I was given a job of two hours between 1 and 3 a.m. I was to stand on the deck and just look in case out in case uh, look at the sides and whatnot and just to, to, uh, see if see if anybody fell overboard now I, I, there was nobody else there so I don't know what would have happened if I had gone overboard but they did but I know what it's like to be seasick on board a ship, you can't see anything at all. So, verse 5, The mariners were afraid, and every man cried to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. First thing we see here is that they were afraid. And every man cried to his God. Now, those that don't know the Lord are doing this when we're afraid and we're all afraid at one time you know at different times but uh, what we did then they cried to his God now the people that are around us that don't know the Lord they cry to their gods also but that God may not be a, a God in heaven or something like that it can be anything I mean, had a roommate one time whose God was music he loved music, all kinds of popular music. And it can be something else. It can be a person. Um, but your God can be anything that stands between you and the real God. And that's what the mariners were doing. They were really trying to stop the storm and get out from under the storm. But what they did was they cried their God. Now, there are seven things that they tried to do. We're going to see in this first chapter. What's the first thing? Well, we just talked about it. The first thing is, every man cried out to his God. What's the second thing you see in that verse? Verse 5. What is it? Threw the cargo overboard. Okay, that's one thing they'll try to do to just lighten the load. That happened just recently, people who were caught in a hurricane. So throwing the cargo overboard is um, an easy... Well, I remember one time when I was... Before I came to know the Lord as Savior, I was under conviction. I was going with a girl right then who turned out to be my wife later on <laughs> but uh, at the time I didn't know the Lord and I wasn't a Christian and I liked this girl I was met at Penn University and uh, so I took her out a couple times and we just had I thought it was dating but um, it was I began to uh, wait a minute, hold on here they were trying to lighten the load and throw the cargo overboard 
Now, they were crying to their God, and in a sense, that's what I was doing. I used to go every Saturday morning to the my farm's pastor, and uh, we sit down and talk, and I'd say, now look here, you you talk about this born again bit. I don't know what that is. I want to, you know, tell me about it. And so they did. <clears throat> so the thing is, what's your cargo? What was your cargo? You know, I was mentioned I was going to the um, see this pastor every Saturday morning. And it got to the point where I was convinced that they were right. They had salvation. You know, that, that was something I wanted, being born again. So I went there one Saturday morning, and I was all set to surprise them. You know, as a pastor, guess what? I'm born again. You know, I'm... Uh, uh, that. He wasn't very happy. <laughs> so I couldn't figure out why. So I went home, and I told my best friend, who was a Christian... And I told him, and he was also not very happy. See, what I had done was this. I had thrown the cargo overboard. Before that happened, I uh, I was smoking a pipe. I loved the pipe. And I thought, you know, they knew I smoked it. They let me, but, uh, but I was... What I want to did was tell the pastor. I said, "You know, I, I finally gave up this pipe smoking. I've really come to the Lord." And he wasn't happy either. But this is not a very happy group. <laughs> but what I didn't realize was throwing the cargo overboard, throwing a pipe overboard. Could have been cigarettes. Could have been something else. That's not really becoming a Christian. But I think a lot of people, even some Christians, can do the same thing. Throw the, something overboard. Something that, uh, something you're indulging in or something that just, is just that's not right. So if you ever have that in your experience, <clears throat> what you're doing is throwing the cargo overboard. And then we come to the word in verse 2. But Jonah had gone down to the lowest parts of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. I don't know how in the world anybody could sleep on board a ship that in, in the middle actually was a hurricane, the word used there. And it was pitching back, up and down. And uh, Well, that time I told you I was aboard a troop ship. I was the only one on board the, the, the deck, and I was sick. I said, I went, uh, how'd you get over to Korea? By plane? Or they said, no, I went by rail. I was just over the rail, just throwing up. <laughs> so but that's about what it was. <clears throat> but what we're telling God in that is, I will change if, God, you do this for me. Okay? We put um, people that go by Lent, you know, that follow Lent, give up something. 
Well, that's giving up something to the, the win God's favor or do something of the sort. And uh, that's it. So they went, he went to the lowest parts of the ship, laying down and was fast asleep. Um, turn over to, keep your finger there, but Mark chapter 4. Starting with verse 35. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Jesus said, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along and rode as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Then he rose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. This is a story Jesus had a number of times when he was in um, in a boat. Of course, when Peter also one time. But what he said in verse 39, he said, He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Now, I looked this up, and I think the Bible allows for this. I won't say for sure that this is an interpretation where it says, peace, be still. In the Greek, it's two separate words, totally different meanings. One, peace, actually means what I believe can be the case, is this, the disciples were all upset. So what he did was go turn to them and say, peace, quiet, and then turn to this, the water and say, be still. And what you see there is the fact that as Jesus, if that's the case, and it may not be, but I think it, I think it is. Um, if, if, all right, peace for the uh, sailors and be still for the the men. Now, you can't really have peace. Unless you, the peace has to be inward. And when he said, peace, be still, he said to the men, peace, and then to the water, be still. I wonder how many times we have so many problems, things where we're just, uh, we're just all upset, and what we need to see is peace, be still. Um, Verse 6, the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Now, I said there are seven things that these men tried to do to get salvation, which for them was out of the storm. They wanted the storm to end. So how do we get the storm to end? Let's try. First of all, let's call or talk to our God. Your God is different than mine, whatever, but if we each call our guys, then something good will happen. <clears throat> uh, the second thing was throw the cargo overboard. And that may be, in some cases, it may be stopping the drink, stopping drinking, or in another case, drugs. 
maybe. But just giving up something like that is not going to save you. In fact, you may end up going even deeper. <clears throat> so there's a... But what this amounts to is if we're saying to God, we'll change, Lord, if you do something for us. If you do this. Did you ever do this? They used to call it foxhole, foxhole um, prayers. You know, you're in a foxhole. And I remember when I, in Korea, of course, they used, it was the first time they came out with really heavy tanks. And we used to have to, had a long string. Oh, we were all one behind each other, just in a straight line. And we were told to dig a foxhole with a little spade we had. And said, you have to dig fast. So uh, we, they, we all did that. But then at the end of the line, they brought a tank, a heavy tank. You know the time I mean. And they said, now you all get in your foxholes and this tank is going to run right over you. Okay. Now, what they were trying to do is to show us, teach us not to be afraid of tanks. That you don't run away from them, you stay and fight. But they started at one end. Now, one of the men there was, uh, or one of the soldiers, was one who just, he just didn't like this army stuff. So he wasn't going to do it. So he didn't dig a foxhole. And at the end, after when they were all ready for the tank, the sergeant came down. <laughs> I will to this day never forget. Look, he yelled at the uh, the man who just wouldn't do his part. He said, "Now look, the line's a long line here. Here's a tank, and here's you at the end. Now you better start digging as fast as you can before that tank gets to you. <laughs> and if you don't, then and it's, I've got my gun on you. So." So he did. He ran as fast as he could. But that's a lot of times. It's what we happens is, um, Lord, I'll do this if, and we can do that unconsciously. We somehow we want some favor from God, whatever. Oh, Lord, I, I just gotta have this car, whatever. And if you could do this, you know, I, I'd be so grateful and thankful and whatnot. Well, where are we? Okay, I don't want to keep you to ten, so, all right. <clears throat> then the first, <clears throat> we had the first two things that they tried to do. The first one was what? Cry out to God. The second? Cargo overboard. Verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Now, what this really is, is blame somebody else. You know, it can't be me. You know, I'd never do a thing like that to cause a storm like that. It has to be one of you guys out there. Now, as a matter of fact, this is true. Uh, Columbus kept diaries in his language, a whatever the language was, I forgot. But at any rate, he kept um, his diaries, and they have been translated. And the ones who, Peter Marshall, wrote The Light and the Glory, 
Very good book. They got the gospel. But they went, he and another friend that he had, went and um, they translated his, um, I don't know what they call it, but the notes, you know, from the logs or whatever. They translated that. And what actually happened three times. First, they decided this storm isn't going to stop. It's got to be one of our faults. Okay, so what they did, they got some pinto beans, dried pinto beans. And they got 39 of them because there were 39 men aboard the ship. And they all took uh, one of those pinto beans and to see who was they were going to blame it on that one. Turned out, this is true. The one who they picked was Columbus. He was the one who picked one out of 39. They decided later that they wanted to do it again. And uh, the second one, somebody else wanted. But they did it three times. And the third time, out of 39 pen beans, John, uh, Columbus got twice. And he explained why, because said he was, at that time, they had already been to the New World, discovered it, and then came on the way back. And Jonah was, was all, or Columbus rather, was oh so happy about this. But he was, wasn't giving God the praise. They originally went to the New World to preach the gospel. And when they got there, they found more fun like looking at for gold and things like this. So, but what they were doing, they cast lots that they may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So the third thing that people try to do, all of us do, is, is what? It's your fault. Blame somebody else. Now, how many times have we done this? I should say every every day. <laughs> how many times? But that's the third thing he did was cast lots that we know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. That's truth. You can go down to the Library of Congress and read it if you can translate Portuguese or whatever the language is. Verse 8. And see if this is going to be a hard one. But see if you can find a fourth thing that the sailors tried to do to save themselves. Then they said to him, Please tell us for whose cause this trouble was upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, can you see in there something? It's going to be a little tricky to, to find this one. Claim the Lord. Hmm? Claim the Lord. Okay, that's good, but that's not what I have. It's going to be a real hard one. Maybe I'll... Uh, in verse 8, they... Jonah told them, they said, I'm the one. And they had the proof of this because of the pinto beans that fell on him. Um, why, why, if you're the ship's heaving back and forth and so on, why would you ask questions like, uh, what's your occupation? 
Uh, where are you from, anyway? What do you do for a living? You know, questions like this um, had nothing to do with the, the problem. They should have asked questions. How do we get out of here? <laughs> you know, things like that. <clears throat> I remember um, when I first became a Christian, you know, people do this, Christians and other Christians and whatnot. Um, people used to, well, of course, at one time we were Baptist and we went to uh, this church and we were different things. Um, it got to the point where people, I got tired of answering like this. You know, the thing that really mattered was the Lord and knowing the Lord. So they would ask me, I would say, um, <clears throat> well, if you want to know who I am, what I am, I'm an evangelical, premillennial, pre-tribulational, dispensational, fundamental Baptist. <laughs> I said, what? I'm an evangelical, premillennial, pre-tribulational, dispensational, fundamental Baptist. And I usually put a, put a stop to everybody. Then I could get into the meat of things. I'd like, do you know the Lord as your Savior? That's the thing. But so many of us do this. You know, we meet each other and we try to find out, you know, what, what are you like? What am I like? And we do that and we, we do the same kind of a thing sometimes. Oh, you're having a church meeting next week. What is that church? Where is it at? Things like this. So the fourth thing is um, what I call ecclesiastical trivia. You know, when people start asking each other, ecclesiastical trivia. trivia. That's too big. Ecclesiastical, of course, that's the word means church. <clears throat> now, what people want to see is really examples. Did you ever go into a... Did I miss something? Oh, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Did you ever go into one of these uh, Acme's or food stores or whatever, and right by the entrance is somebody there with cracker and some sort of a dip in it, you know, and they offer that to you? And I always, I always go for it and go back for more if I can. <laughs> but what are they doing? They're trying to sell something. Now, they can tell you uh, this is something wonderful, um, it's got a quarter teaspoon of uh, salt. It's got uh, egg yolk. It's got this. It's got all these things. Would you buy it? You might. But what's going to really make the difference? Taste and see. Okay? And that's what's probably needed. Well, it is one of the most needed thing in our church today. Our church is the fact that we're, what people want to do is taste and see. Okay? So when they get into those details, asking for occupation is the one, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, let me ask the question. What do, you, what do you think is the most pop or most read translation of the Bible. Hmm? 
NIV. All right. Anybody else thoughts? I have to tell you, so far it's not right. <laughs> but King James, you think New New King James? You think so? That's that's not it either. There's one that nobody's mentioned. It's the most um, pop, most. Hmm? Turn to Second um, Corinthians chapter three. Second Corinthians chapter three. You can pull this on uh, somebody. You know, chapter three, verse, chapter three, uh, verse one. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistles, written in your hearts, known and read by all men. You are manifestly an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. It says, all men, we read by all men, and that's true. It may, people may walk down the street and never open a Bible, but if they hear that you're a Christian, they're going to search you up and down. Okay? They're reading you. So, what they want to do is test and taste and see, and sometimes we don't give the best taste. Okay. So, so so far we've had four. What's the third and fourth one? All right. If you want to remember that thing I said, evangelical, premillennial, pre-tribulational, dispensational, fundamental Baptist, or whatever the thing may be. What's the famous Us. We are. Okay. We're the ones that everybody's looking at. Unfortunately, one of our problems are, um, in our country today is the fact that there are so many bad Christians giving really rotten testimonies in radio, television, and so on, that it really has turned people off. We've got to counter that. Let them see Christ in us. Okay, verse 11. They still haven't found any answer for you know what how to get out of this problem with the storm. So verse 11, then they said to him, what shall we do, get this, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? Catch that? What what can happen to you that I can get free? And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. Okay. Anybody see anything in there is something they did. Mm-hmm. Pick, pick up, folks, right. They told them what to do. So right there, they know the answer. Okay? They know the answer. 
But look at verse 13. Nevertheless, just that one word, nevertheless. So the fifth thing is they knew the right way. They were given to it. Jonah told them the whole story then. They said, you want us to have salvation? Throw me overboard. So they knew they had the right answer, but nevertheless, they didn't want to do it. How many people have the right answer? They know the weight of salvation. They know that it is given to them. This would be the fifth thing, but they didn't act upon it. For me, that time I was talking with that pastor, you know, every Saturday I'd go there and um, we'd, I'd ask him questions and he'd give me answers and so on. Um, all right, let me look. Nevertheless, verse 13, the men rode hard to bring the ship to land. Verse 12 said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. They knew the right way. They just didn't act on it. And verse 13, the men, well, what else? What do you see in verse 13 that they did? This would be their sixth thing. Hmm? Doing it there. Yeah, they were trying to do it their way. And what they were saying is they were rowing hard. Oh, real hard. Do you ever get in a boat and start to row? If you've ever done it and the tide's against you and you're rowing one way and the tide's taking you out, you got a problem. So what this, in verse 13, you what they were doing was rowing as hard as they could. What they also, what they were doing, is that the men rowed hard to bring the ship to land. Now they had the answer. They knew of the Lord. They just didn't do it. Okay. Um, it brings to mind the thing that are called yo-yo Christians. Know what a yo-yo Christian is? Hmm? Back and forth. A good way of doing it is, Lord, I'm giving this problem to you. Let me have it at the door before I go out. Yeah, back and forth. And... Uh, so that's the sixth thing. So let me just review these for you. First is they were afraid and every man cried out to his God. Second, they threw the cargo overboard. Three, verse seven, they cast lots. They could blame somebody else. Number four, being caught up in trivia and things that really don't matter. Five, says, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? They then had the answer. Okay. Six, nevertheless the men rode hard. And 15, the last one, they hadn't had success in anything so far. So what 15, what did they do? Hmm? They did it. They picked him up and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. So that was the seventh thing. It took seven things, the uh, answers, before they did it. Now, in our own way, in our own way, we do the same type things. 
in our lives. Certainly we did before we knew Christ. It says, The Lord had prepared a great fish for Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Yes, why is it that Satan seems to pick out this one miracle uh, so much? I mean, he, he just makes fun of, you know, he's Jonah, you know, he's a big fish. Ha, huh, ha, huh. couldn't happen. There are seven miracles in the book of Jonah. And the easiest one to be believed is the fish. Why do you think he picked Jonah the easiest? And why didn't he pick one of the other miracles? The storm? Uh, this, um, I won't go through them now. Cause, but um, why do you think? Hmm? Yeah, it turns out he was. Mm-hmm. He was. Actually, you know, there they found, uh, there was one example of a man, a true, a true story of uh, South America somewhere. They caught a fish, a very large. It wasn't a whale. Uh, it was a large fish. And they cut him open, and inside the fish was a man. Or a son, I don't know how big it was. But this was bad. 1940, 45, something like that. But um, he was out of his mind. And you probably would be, I would be too, if we were inside the fish. But that is, it can't happen. It wasn't that great a miracle compared to some of the others. You know, just starting a hurricane like that, stopping a hurricane, they're, they're miracles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. Ah, that's it. He said three days and three nights. He was very specific. Now, we Satan has gotten people to the point where they say, well, it's just the night, uh, one night and one full day and then the morning of the third. So really it was only one full day and the first one and the third one are just partial days. And he's gotten people to believe that. And that's why I think Jesus here says he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I believe that. <clears throat> okay, any... Uh, and this, that last one where it says this, they threw his Jonah overboard. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice for the Lord and made vows. You gotta wash those vows. <laughs> okay. But the thing uh, that is, do it. Whatever the Lord says, do, do it. That's the thing. Now, John chapters. Let me just check something here. Verse 18 of chapter 6 of John. Then the sea, these again now in the, uh, in the sea. 
Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Now the thing I want to stress here is they willingly received him. Took walking on water to do it, but they willingly received him. And when we see the miracles that Jonas went through, Jonah, and so on, and see what God has done, don't doubt, just immediately turn to God, do it, whatever he says, do it, live it. Okay, any questions? They were. Uh, oh. oh, I'm sorry. Read that again. Yeah, right. It took it right there. Jonah, he didn't have it quite so good because he was swallowed by the fish. And he had to get all the way back to Nineveh, which is in the other, halfway through the Mediterranean Sea. Now, he got a free ride back. Okay. I don't think I'd want to be a friend of his <laughs> right then there. But it says they willingly received him. Now, sometimes it's, it's you can, we can sit by and let God do... Uh, Wonderful things, and yet not willingly receive him. You know what would happen if uh, I was was that? If um, when I was dating Barbara, and uh, she was the roommate of my roommate, uh, he was my my roommate was dating Barbara's roommate. So, uh, well, the way we met, she came over. We had some rooms in a Christian association where we, three of us lived there together, and we took care of the place and uh, whatnot. And Barbara came over one night before I even knew her, and they were painting. So she picked up a paintbrush and started painting this room. Now, this was my study. So she did this. And I thought, any woman who's a girl who's willing to do that for somebody who I never even met him, i gotta, I got to keep this girl. <laughs> yeah. But God will do wonderful things. But just remember, Jonah is the main character in the book that everybody thinks. I think the seven... Uh, well, how many um, how many men were there, sailors? See if you can figure it out. Hmm? Yeah, thirty-nine. There were thirty-nine, including Columbus. <coughs> okay. All right. Any, anything else? Anybody have any? Then let's when we live our Christian at walk. Just remember, we want to taste good to somebody else. 
I mean, not literally. Um, that thing, that some things I would pick out from these, from this thing we read, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. The other thing I think I think when I remember is that thing in Second Corinthians. Do you remember what that was? Second Corinthians chapter three. Hmm? Verse three. <clears throat> Verse two. You are our epistles written in our hearts, known and read by all men. You are manifestly an epistle of Christ, ministered by us. So look at that. Pick a day this week and just think on that. Come together and think. You are manifestly an epistle of Christ. And sometimes if we don't look so good or smell so good or taste good, the reason is that's that sometimes will keep us from Christ, the Savior. Let's stand in, in prayer. Lord, we do thank you for the word you've given, for the book of Jonah, and the story behind it, because it's a true story, Lord. And Lord, we just thank you that we've had a chance to see some of this that we never perhaps thought of before. Jonah is important, Lord, but the sailors, 39 of them were saved through belief in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us and bless us now as we go our separate ways and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.